Man, it's hard enough to climb a snowy mountain without some punk like buzzing you with a drone. Did you figure that out? Like the mama bear wasn't just like playing a prank on it or anything like that. We're talking about discouragement, so I think you can probably see the connection and how that's going to uh, filter out through our message this morning. I think from a society standpoint, culture, uh, you know, current state of affairs and events, we could all agree that there's kind of this underlying current of discouragement that we kind of have to deal with every once in a while. And it's a lot of times it's the things we don't really know that are affecting us, uh, that are that are kind of holding us back, keeping us in a rut, making us feel discouraged. And one of the things that made that pretty apparent to me is this new show that came out on Netflix, you know, as, as it happens. And I found out about the show on social media, and the way I found out about the show is people started posting pictures of their beds covered with their clothing. And I thought this was really strange. And what they were doing is they were taking each piece of clothing and asking themselves if it sparked joy for them. And my reaction was like, you know, as I'm sure yours is, well, that's dumb. And and so I was trying to figure out where is this coming from. And there's this new show on Netflix called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. Have Have you guys seen this at all? Anybody? A couple... All right, so just a handful of people on both services. That's cool. Most of you are kind of like me, where you know it's kind of a superiority thing that you try not to pay attention to popular things. You know, saying, so "Oh yeah, I don't, I don't bother with with that kind of thing." Uh, and so, but I decided to check out one of the episodes, and I watched watched a couple of them. And basically, the whole show is this woman Marie Kondo coming over and showing people how to manage their stuff. So they get to the point where they're not managing their stuff, their stuff is managing them. And the first episode I watched, it was this young couple, they had two little kids, and they were just, I mean, they, they were just not coping well with adulting in life. They had gotten to the point where they had hired someone to come in and do their laundry for them. And I know most of us are thinking, that sounds amazing, like, <laughs> that's, that's a great solution. But they were really trying to figure out, all right, how do, how, do we deal, how do we deal with our stuff? And so Marie would come in and show them how to do that. And it was amazing, just learning how to fold clothes properly and putting them away changed their entire perspective and outlook on their marriage and on their life. And you think, man, how, how is that possible? Well, discouragement comes a lot of times from a lot of little things that kind of brush under the rug, sweep sweep under the rug and brush under the rug. I guess we do both of those. And we ignore and we put to the side and they build up and to the point where they bring us to a breaking point. We're like, what in the world? How does this possibly happen? Why are we having a fight over laundry? This is crazy. And sometimes discouragement comes along and maybe it's a little bit bigger. It's something, a bigger hurdle, something that comes out of the middle of nowhere and kind of destroys all the progress that we've made up until that point in our life. And we think, man, how, how in the world are we going to get past this? And when you've done all you know to do and you're stuck in a rut and you've lost some of your courage to keep making the effort to move beyond the status quo, you're discouraged. And we all deal with this at some point in our lives. We all have wrestled with this. We're familiar with this. We know what this means. And discouragement, I mean, just, just the word itself, it means the reversal of courage. It brings us to the place where we just don't know how to get out of our rut and continue moving forward. And so this morning, over the last couple of weeks, as we've talked about Joseph's life and we've looked at the, the pattern of things that have happened to him, his life, Joseph really should be the poster child for discouragement. Uh, but he also shows us how to overcome discouragement in our lives as well. 
So here's, here's what Joseph has had happen to his life up to this point. Over the last couple of weeks, it was, as we've talked uh, about his life, first week, here's what happened. He was the favorite son of his father. He was given a special coat. He had a couple dreams. His brothers got jealous. They sold him into slavery. All right, so that was the first week. Second week, he was eventually sold to Potiphar, a captain of the guard to Pharaoh in Egypt. He becomes responsible for the entire household for Potiphar. Uh, he gets falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. His coat gets him into trouble a second time. And then he's thrown into prison to rot. And so this is what Joseph has experienced up to, up to this life. It doesn't sound like we're doing much overcoming yet at, at this point in his life. Joseph can't win for losing. And you'd think, especially because we know that Joseph has been following God, he's been faithful to living out his life the way God has called him to. That's why God has provided him success and some of the things that he's done up to this point in his life, that maybe, maybe Joseph might start second-guessing God just a little bit at this point in his life. Because let's be honest, I mean, you would think after putting this much time and effort to be faithful to God that maybe God would maybe give a little bit of reciprocity back to Joseph, right? That maybe God would do something, you know, that would kind of reward Joseph for his good behavior. In fact, there's a lot of conversations that I've had with a lot of people throughout the years who feel as though a lot of times God is distant. He feels distant because they've tried to be good and they've tried to be faithful to him, but it just doesn't seem like it's making that much of a difference in their life or the fruit of their obedience isn't really bearing out the way that they expected it to in their life. And I come to you, and I'm, I'm saying this, I mean, this is not just from conversations I've had with other people, it's also something I've experienced in my life as well. We all have something that keeps us down, that holds us back, that keeps us discouraged. Some of us have personality traits that play into, into part of this. Like, we all have something that we know is kind of a trigger for us to be, to be low, to be down. Uh, I'm, I'm no different. Here, I'm just going to share a couple of these with you. Some of you will be able to relate to these. Some of you have your own thing. But I've been studying a little bit more about my personality, try to understand myself a little bit better, where I'm broken and where I need to let God kind of heal me through those things. And here are a couple things that I deal with. Uh, extreme and ongoing berating from an inner critic and the fear of never being able to measure up to self-imposed high standards. And the attempt to maintain an outer attitude of self-control and reserve while inwardly, inwardly feeling anguished and isolated from self-criticism. Now, the point of me sharing that, like, I don't... Like, this is not woe is me thing. Like, I don't care. Like, I'm, I'm good. I, I promise. At least I'm going to, you know, put that front out there because of my personality. <laughs> but but here, the, point, the point is this, is that you, this not, might not be your thing. You may not have something like this, but you do have something that the enemy sometimes uses, that sometimes circumstances bring up in your life that causes you to feel discouraged and not to see a clear path forward in your life. We all deal with something that weighs down, that something that weighs us down at some point that discourages us because life doesn't meet our expectations. And if we're really honest, there are moments when we feel like God doesn't meet our expectations either. And so one of the things I do before we get to the encouragement, because we will get there as we talk about discouragement this morning, is one of the things I want to do is I want to just challenge one thing for us first. When it comes to our expectations of how life should be and how we navigate through our discouragement when it comes up is that sometimes, maybe every time, if God doesn't meet our expectations for how we think life should go, maybe it's because our expectations are wrong. Sometimes we don't have the perspective that we need 
on what transpires and happens in our life, on the things that kind of hold us down, that, that God has. And for us to recognize that is a huge step forward in understanding how God helps us through discouragement. All-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God, maybe he has a different idea of how our life should go than we do. By its very nature, discouragement is short-sighted. We can't see the forest for the trees kind of thing. By God's very nature, he knows exactly how things are going to play out. And his promise for us as Christ followers is to work things out to the good for those that love him and who are called according to his purpose. And I get it, the trouble, the hard thing through that is maintaining that perspective through the discouragement. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at another story, another part of Joseph's life that shows us how to deal with this, how to wrestle through, through it, and to overcome it. And so here we go. Let's go back to Joseph, to his current state of affairs in Genesis chapter 39. We'll be in chapter 40 uh, as far as the, the events that happen in his life, if you want to turn there. Joseph's master had taken him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Just a little bit of deja vu here. And, and maybe even a little bit of a danger of reading this in the text and thinking, well, God was giving him success in everything he was doing, so he's kind of living, living that blessed life, and, and so he, he must be doing okay. Let's be clear, though. Being thrown into a dungeon, in, into the prison in, in this context, is never a desirable place for us to be in. I mean, so it doesn't matter, like, how blessed we feel. Let, let's be honest, who, who among us is going to willingly choose to be thrown into an ancient dungeon for us to experience God's success and favor in our life? Like, that's not really what we're looking for and what we expect out of life to have happen for us. It's not a desirable place to be in to experience God's presence and favor, yet this is precisely where Joseph experiences it throughout his life. And one of the very clear truths about how God operates and how he works when it comes to us feeling discouragement is that with God, discouragement doesn't end in defeat, it refines our faith. And this is never more evident than it is throughout Joseph's life. So one of the things that helps, uh, what helps when we're, when we're stuck is to be reminded of what God says is true about who we are because of him. In James chapter 1, we read this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Or we can flip over to Romans chapter 8. We can read verses 35 through 37. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And it's clear that despite all of the things that have happened to Joseph up to this point, he kept who he was, his identity in God, at the forefront of how he chose to live out his faith, regardless of what circumstance he found himself in, even the most discouraging one that you could think of. So here's what happens in Genesis chapter 40. We find Joseph, and I'm gonna, we're not going to read the whole chapter. We'll read a couple things from it, but just to kind of give you an overview, summary of what happens in the chapter. Joseph is in prison. 
Two of Pharaoh's chief officials, his chief cupbearer and his chief baker, they're thrown into the prison as well, and Joseph is assigned to take care of them. And so he's doing his job while he's there in prison, taking care of these other you know, big-time prisoners. And, and he comes up to them one day, and he realizes that they're very depressed, they're very dis- sad, they're very discouraged. And we don't know why they're in there, but when you get thrown into the king's dungeon, like you're there at his whim, so you don't know when you're getting out, you don't know what's going to happen. All we know is that somehow they had offended Pharaoh. Somehow they had made him angry. And so I'm going to guess that you know, maybe they're having a party, you know, the baker, cupbearer, cupbearer is supposed to drink the wine before the king does to make sure it's not poison. And the way that you know that is whether or not the cupbearer lives or dies. The baker, you know, um, made pastries. That's very uh, historically accurate uh, as far as you know. And, and he made pastries. And let's say, you know, the pharaoh, he wanted some pastries and wine late at night. And then he got food poisoning from him. And he thought maybe the baker and the cupbearer were trying to kill him. Something, something like that, all right? So they're in prison. And Joseph comes up to him. They're depressed. They're sad. They're discouraged. He said, hey, what's going on? He said, well, we both had a dream last night. We don't know what they mean. And Joseph said, well, I've, I've had some dreams in the past. Uh, hadn't worked out for me so far. But uh, God can interpret your dream, and if you tell me what, the, what, what your dreams are, maybe I can help you out. Maybe I can help you through this. And so the cupbearer tells him his dream. And Joseph said, hey, actually, this is going to work out for you here in three days. Pharaoh's going to raise you back up to your previous uh, position. And so things are going to work out really well for you. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what your dream means. And after he says that to him, in Genesis chapter 40, he says this to the cupbearer. He says, when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and, keep me out of, and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Keep that in mind. Uh, the baker we're not going to talk about a whole lot because he did not have a favorable dream at all, and Joseph lets him know, um, sorry, man, you're going to be executed, so you're going give it, to get a different result. So we get to the end of the chapter and we read this. Genesis 40, verse 20. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all of his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. And here comes the most discouraging sentence of the chapter, verse 23. After all of this, the cupbearer however, did not remember Joseph, he forgot him. After all of that, after all of Joseph's kindness, faithfulness to God, his honesty, asking to be remembered, he was forgotten. And, and I think being forgotten, that, that might be, if you think about just socially how that feels, you know, a friend forgets you, you know, something is forgotten in your life, you being left as a child, you know, in JCPenney or something like that. Like that's, that might be one of the worst things, most discouraging things to happen in your life. It's one of the reasons I proposed to Renee on her birthday. It's also why we got married as close to my birthday as possible. Because there's just some things you don't want to forget. There, there's some, so there's some wisdom there. If you've got some time, you know, plan those things out well. Joseph was forgotten. And yeah, it was a unique circumstance and what's going on in his life. Uh, this cupbearer forgot about him. And, and, you know, he could have been incredibly discouraged by this. I mean, he doesn't make it out of prison for another two years, even after this happens. 
And so you think about the things that he might be thinking, the things that he might be thinking about his life, the things that he might be thinking about God. But what's clear is that even though he was forgotten by everyone else, he still wasn't forgotten by God in his life. God enabled Joseph to interpret these two dreams. And it wasn't, it wasn't a vague, like, fortune cookie thing where it could have could have been you know, associated with any result that happened afterwards. Joseph, Joseph told these guys exactly what was going to happen, exactly what he said was going to happen, did happen. And the reason that's significant for Joseph is that the reason he's here in the first place was because of a couple dreams that were interpreted. A couple dreams that his brothers began hating him over and a dream that his father thought, really, at some point, you think you're going to be in power and authority over this, us, that you're going to be in a position greater than ours? And Joseph, I, I think, especially after this, I think this was something Joseph held on to in the back of his mind as far as who God is and how faithful he is to taking care of us. Despite being in this situation at this point in his life, I mean, this is, this is a perfect time for a little bit of self-pity. And we know, we know how good self-pity feels, right? I mean, it doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't help us at all. But it's fun. It's why they sell the little pint-sized things of ice cream at the grocery store. I mean, that's for self-pity. I mean, that's, that's the reason they sell them in those sizes. It's, it's great. But maybe the reason Joseph continues to rely on God for his faith and practice is that he sees the evidence of God at work in his life as he follows him. And if God is willing to give accurately interpreted dreams to a random cupbearer and a random baker, then how much more would God be willing to fulfill Joseph's purpose in the accurately interpreted dreams that Joseph had when he was younger. Joseph had every right to be discouraged, and yet it's very apparent he didn't live without courage. And so here, here are a couple things that we can, we can know and put into practice in our own lives uh, that we can kind of model what Joseph does for us when it comes to overcoming dis discouragement. The first is this, is remember who you are to God. Your discouragement, my discouragement, tends to come most from us paying attention more to what we can't control in life than we do pay attention to what God has already taken care of. And so in the midst of us feeling forgotten, in, in the midst of us for, feeling forsaken, forsaken, I mean, those are the things that God has promised to never do when it comes to us. We can remember who we are because of Jesus. See, as a Christ follower, you're a child of God. You're a friend of Jesus. You're no longer condemned. You're set free. You're a fellow heir with Jesus. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're a new creation. You're blessed. You're created for good works. You're a citizen of heaven. And you're chosen. You're specifically, especially chosen by God. And that's who you are. That's your identity. It's not wrapped up in your circumstances. It's not wrapped up in the events that happen around you in your life. It's not wrapped up in the situation that you're in right now. Your identity is wrapped up in who God is and who he calls you to be. And so when we're discouraged, the best encouragement we can find is to remember what is true about who we are and about whose we are. Bob Goff writes this. He says, the way we deal with uncertainty, and I think there's a lot of discouragement that comes from uncertainty in our life. The way we deal with uncertainty says a lot about whether Jesus is ahead of us leading or behind us just carrying our stuff. And so much of that is tied into understanding who we are because of who God says we are. The foundation of sustaining encouragement in life is exactly what's identified for us in Genesis chapter 39, verse 21. And this is where we're told that God was with Joseph 
and that he showed him his kindness, that he extended his love to him. And it's not just true with Joseph, it's true with you and me as well, is that God is with us, and then he shows us his kindness. He extends his love to us regardless of what circumstance we're in. And here's the, here's the second thing for overcoming discouragement. And it may sound a little counterintuitive, but stick with me. Is in the midst of your discouragement, if you want to move past that, extend encouragement to other people. The best way to get through your discouragement is to help someone else through, through theirs. And this is not why we do it, but it's, but it's even research backs this up. If, if that's a thing for you and if that, that matters, research backs this up. That when we help others regulate their emotions, it helps us regulate our own emotions. It decreases symptoms of depression and ultimately improves our emotional well-being. This is from a paper that specifically studied how it impacts us when we're willing to help other people in our lives is it helps us. And here's the thing that people need to understand, and here's the thing that it helps to remind us of and teaches us, and I want you to, some of you need to hear this really, really clearly, is that there has never been a time in your life where you have not been wanted or needed by someone. There's never been a time in your life where you haven't been wanted or needed by someone. And sometimes the best way to remind ourselves of that is to help someone else recognize that that's true in their life. Courage needs to be built up in us. There's always going to be something that pops up in our life that tries to shake our resolve, that tries to reverse the courage in our life. But that doesn't mean that discouragement will overwhelm us. And one of the things that's very clear throughout Scripture about what we're supposed to be doing for each other as we gather together as a congregation of believers in Jesus, that as we gather together and worship God, is that we help each other in those moments where we're weak, when we're feeling discouraged, where we need somebody else's strength to help bolster us up. That's, that's why we gather together. That's why we edify each other. That's why we teach each other. That's why we fellowship with each other. That's why we spend time with each other, not just on Sunday morning, in worship and in small group and serving with, with each other. It's because we're here when we lack something, we're here to help pick up the slack for each other. That's one of the reasons why we share communal faith when it comes to how we live out our belief in Jesus. This is what the body of Christ provides for each other as we create time and space for a relationship with each other. And this is what Joseph did for this cupbearer and for this baker. And regardless of their outcome or whether he or they deserve to be there, he served them with kindness because even when everything else seems to be too much to handle, we can always give to each other what God extends to us, his presence, his kindness, and the knowledge that with God there's always hope. No matter, no matter what is discouraging us, no matter what seeks to hold us down, there's always hope because of who God is, who he says you are, because of how we're called to live with and among each other. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for, for Jesus, and God, we ask that your Holy Spirit continually to remind us of how uh, we, can, we can always be encouraged because of, of who you are and how you, uh, how you take care of us. And that even when we don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, that you know where it is, you know how to get there, and that you will lead us there as we follow you. God, we thank you for that, and we praise you for that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.